You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. You know, as a church, we are celebrating this weekend, the, uh, this, this entire series about how Jesus breaks the chains in our life. And that's a, that's a great song that we just finished uh, singing. And as a church, we want to celebrate other breakthrough moments in our history. And this week, we actually saw the construction equipment arrive. And so, uh, praise God. And uh, as you can see, uh, they've got some digging going on out there. And so, we're seeing the beginning works of phase two to make more room uh, for children and students here at Southwest. And we praise God for that. And we look forward uh, to making more room for children and also, we're going to dismiss our students in just a minute, but we're looking forward to the day that we don't have to send the students walking to another building uh, for their class. But with that said, let's go ahead and pray and uh, just ask God to truly break free the chains in our lives and help us embrace this gospel message of Jesus today. Let's, let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for what a, what a great God you are, and we thank you for just the incredible good news of your son, that he came to free us, to free us from sin, to free us from guilt, to free us from the chains of, of law and trying to be good enough. And so, Father, we just pray that today as we open up your word and as we read from a, just an a incredibly rich passage of Scripture, that you'll speak to our hearts and give me the wisdom and the ability. And I pray that your spirit will just intervene in such a way that, that the message of this chapter of your, your word, the Bible, will just ring through to every person here. And this message of freedom will just really bring good news to every heart that's here. And so we just ask you to work and uh, we, we know you will, and so we thank you in advance for that. It's in Jesus we pray, amen. We're gonna go ahead and dismiss our sixth through 12th graders. We have a class designed for you over at the YMCA. Our student minister, Andrew Bill, will be uh, teaching that. I hope that you all had a good week. Uh, for me, it's been a week of extremes. Uh, it was great to see the construction equipment arrive, and, and that was great. Uh, last weekend was a great weekend for Jane and I because our three children that are scattered all over the country uh, were all home last weekend, and so that was great. But not only were our three children, uh, but our granddaughter, and so that that was just that was great. And uh, so just have to show a picture here with me in the backyard and swing with my granddaughter. We, last Saturday we came by the uh, 
Farmer's Market, uh, which now we are hosting. If you didn't know that, you can stop by on a Saturday morning and see our farmer, uh, the local, not ours, but the local Farmer's Market hosted here at Southwest. And there was fire trucks here last weekend and our granddaughter got to be in that. And uh, she's just so cute. I'm sorry to have to share with you some pictures, but uh, you know, we just hugged and kissed on her all week and didn't really give much thought the fact that she was just coming off a double ear infection. Well, that was the other extreme of my week, okay? She laughed, and guess what? I started feeling sick. Imagine that. And uh, sure enough, I went to the doctor this week. I had fluid in both ears. I wonder where that came from. And, uh, and uh, have bronchitis, so, but I'm on heavy medicine, so I don't think I'm any contagious. I got a stack of medicine I'm taking, and this is the best I've felt in a week, okay? So I'm excited about what we're going to be sharing with today. We're in the midst of, uh, we just kicked off last week, a, uh, a series, Gospel Unchained. And if you were here last week, we kicked this off by looking at a very uh, incredible letter written by the Apostle Paul. It was the very first letter that he wrote. Uh, it was possibly the very first book of the New Testament. Uh, there's some debate whether possibly James was written before Galatians, uh, and we talk about those kind of things in our Wednesday night class uh, that we're offering this summer entitled Getting to Know Your Bible, and we encourage you to check that class out. But today we're going to look at some very important and yet rich, dense material in chapter 2. And, and by the way, there's some material in Galatians 1 and 2 that you can't find anywhere else in the Bible. And... and uh, there's so much here that it's trying to unpack it is a challenge. I've prayed a lot about that. And to help us focus on some of the important themes of this chapter, we're going to zero in on some contrasting uh, views. And, and we're going to tell this. You've, you've heard the story of the tale of two cities. We're going to look at the tale of two leaders and the tale of two visits between these leaders. And, and that, from that, we're going to see the tale of two views. And I hope that this will help break down what I think is a very important chapter for us to wrestle with and apply it to our lives. In the history of the early church, there were two very prominent leaders. There were other leaders, but two that we hear a lot about. Uh, interesting enough, both of their names began with the letter S originally. And then later, after becoming Jesus followers, they both changed their names to names that, uh, or their names were changed to names that began with the letter P. Uh, first, we have Simon Peter. He was an uneducated, entrepreneurial guy who owned a fishing uh, business uh, in the Galilee region. He was a, a charismatic personality, and yet he had no formal religious training and higher training, and, and yet he, was, he accepted Jesus' call to uh, follow him and to begin to fish for people as opposed to fish. The Bible records many highs and lows of Peter's experience in following Jesus. We, we see the extremes in Peter's life. We see, we see a guy who, who uh, had, had the faith that when Jesus was walking water, he says, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you and I will. And, and Jesus says, come. I don't know if he was expecting that, but he, he did. And he walked on water for a while, but then he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. He also was the first of the apostles to, to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. But he's also the one that denied Jesus during his arrest and trial before his crucifixion. 
And yet after that incredible low, then Jesus reinstates him. And, and, and Simon Peter is the guy that preaches the very first gospel message in Jerusalem. And from there, the church begins, and 3,000 people are baptized. The church just takes off, and, and, and thousands of people become Jesus' followers. And the gospel spreads from Jerusalem uh, on up north uh, to, to cities like Damascus and in Syria and Antioch. And, and there, a guy named Saul of Tarsus becomes a follower of Jesus. Now, Saul was quite different than Simon Peter. Saul was someone who had studied uh, in a formal way. He, he was studying to become a rabbi. He'd studied under the probably the most prominent rabbi of his day, a guy named Gamaliel. And, and, and Saul was, was quickly, uh, you know, excelling and becoming an expert in the Old Testament law. And, and he viewed what was happening over here in Jerusalem as a dangerous sect within Judaism, something that he believed as a faithful, uh, zealot Jew that he should try to stop at all causes. So he goes around and, and he arrests Christians and throws them into prison. He's doing everything he can, even consents to one of the early uh, Christians being put to death. He was an opponent, a persecutor of the early church. And yet Saul has this dramatic conversion experience that you can read about in the Bible in Acts chapter 9. And he becomes a follower of Jesus. And we talked about that last week. And we're going to begin by reviewing a verse that we read a verse from last week, a section. And we're going to read a little bit more that we see some new insights into Saul's initial calling to be a follower of Jesus. It's found in Galatians 1, verse 15. He says, Saul, Paul, describing himself, he says, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news. And we talked about last week that, that that's the word gospel. That's what gospel means, good news, about Jesus to the Gentiles. He says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter and I stayed with him for 15 days. So although Paul didn't get to spend those initial, uh, those three years with Jesus as the other apostles did, it's interesting that it says that, that he spent three years in Arabia and Damascus. Now, we, we don't know a lot about that, but I, I, I believe that, the, that he was coming under instruction from Jesus directly, that he was receiving the gospel, the good news of Jesus directly from Jesus. He talked about that last week in chapter one. Now, with this as our backdrop, let's dig into chapter two and we'll see the tale of two separate visits between these two prominent leaders. And it's a visit, first one in Jerusalem, the second visit will be in Antioch. I tried last week maps up on the screen, but by the time they got up on the screen, they weren't very visible. So we thought we'd just use props this week, okay? So hopefully that helps. My wife says, you had a geography lesson for us again. Well, we're just keeping it real simple, okay? Two cities, Jerusalem and Antioch. 
So let's read about that in Galatians 2, verse 1. It says, then 14 years later. Now remember, after three years, Saul, uh, Paul went to Jerusalem to, to meet Peter, spent about a half a month with him. Now, whether 11 years, depending on whether you subtract in the three or 14 years later, now he goes back to Jerusalem for a second visit. That's the one we're going to look at. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I'd been preaching to the Gentiles. They supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Now, did you catch what Paul is saying here? You see, Jerusalem was the very center of the Jewish religion. That's where the location of the Jewish temple was. And it's also the city that Jesus died and was resurrected. It's the city where Simon Peter preached the first gospel message. It's where the church began and the church spread from Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, the, the good news is spread up north. And as we read last week, it had spread even into uh, the rest of Asia, ready to go into Europe. And, and yet, what we see here is that, that Antioch has become the starting point of a mission effort to reach people that are not Jewish. And so Saul goes to Jerusalem, Paul goes to Jerusalem to make sure there's unity between him and the other leaders of the early church. You see, he was there, he wanted, he made every effort to have unity. Now, it's important for us to remember that both uh, Simon Peter, well, first of all, Jesus was Jewish, right? Simon Peter and, and Saul of Tarsus, Paul, were both Jewish in their background. All the earliest followers of Jesus were Jewish. It's important for us to remember that. In fact, it was a number of years before anybody that was non-Jewish began to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus, which leads to one of the first tests of the gospel. Was the gospel simply for Jewish people like Peter and Paul, or was it for everyone? Now, this is an important text for those of us that don't have a Jewish background. You see, this is good news that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. And this is one of those breakthrough chapters here. And a test case for this question, Paul brings with him to Jerusalem this young man whom he'd led to Christ, a guy named Titus. Now, there are a number of things that the Jewish people uh, set them apart from other People. They, they celebrated the Sabbath day, which was Saturday, a day of rest and, and, and worship. They celebrated the Jewish holidays or holy days like Passover, Pentecost, and the Day of Atonement. They held a certain dietary laws that, that meant they didn't eat bacon or pork sausage or pork hot dogs. I'm grateful I don't have a Jewish background. And yet the most obvious and permanent identity marker, marker was the practice 
of male circumcision. Now that seems really maybe foreign to us, and yet it became a real boundary marker for the Jewish people. You see, at times the Jewish people possibly were inconsistent when it came to their observance of holy days or dietary laws. But when it came to circumcision, well, circumcision, you're either you're in or you're out, okay? It's kind of like one writer said, it's kind of like for women pregnancy, you either are or you aren't, right? And with circumcision, you're either circumcised or you're not. And so that became a real boundary marker for are you part of the people of God or are you not? You get the sense The Paul's out here, he's telling the good news of Jesus to people that aren't Jewish, and they're responding, and and hundreds and thousands of people are becoming Jesus followers. And so he wants to make sure to make a point. And almost as a test case, he brings this young Jesus follower, Titus, who's not been circumcised to Jerusalem. And I almost get a sense, and, and bear with me if you think I'm reading too much into it, I almost think Paul wants to pick a fight, okay? Maybe he doesn't want to pick a fight, but he wants to make a point. And so let's read uh, uh, about that, okay? Um, now, before we do that, as, as we talked last week, uh, Paul clearly states that in Galatians, that the gospel and the gospel alone is what saves us and makes us right with God. And he's going to push back hard against anyone who teaches the gospel plus anything else will save you. Now, he's going to make a point here. It's not gospel plus circumcision. It's not gospel plus dietary laws. It's not gospel plus ceremonial laws. Or for that matter, for our lives today, in our setting and in our culture, in our congregation, our church here, it's important for us to understand it's not gospel plus our performance. See, that's where I think we get tripped up today. We think that, yeah, I'm saved, but I'm saved because of gospel and my performance. And for some of us then, that translates, it means that if we have a good week that we feel like we've been obedient and done the right things, then we feel saved. We feel good. We come in to worship and we're singing praises. We're lifting our hands. We're clapping. We're great. It's awesome being a Christian. But if we've had a bad week and our performance has been not what we know we sh- it should be, then we begin to doubt our salvation. We begin to doubt our standing with God. You see, really what we've done is we've said gospel plus something, right? Gospel plus our perfect obedience or our performance. Now, throughout this letter, Paul's saying it's gospel and gospel alone. And Paul's extremely concerned that we believe and that they believe the true gospel, truly unchained from false teaching, and from add-ons. As we shared last week from a book I've been reading on discipleship, Bill Hall, the author, says, remember the kind of gospel we believe and teach directly determines the kind of disciples produced. So Paul's saying it really does matter what you believe. And it does really matter what we teach as a church. Because if we allow ourselves to fall into the teaching of false believers, as 
was the case in Paul's day, then we begin to promote a false gospel, as he talked about last week. Now, last week I shared with you a couple counterfeit gospels. This week, let's look at a couple other counterfeit gospels that are different than the gospel we read about in the Scripture. The first is what we might call a right gospel. It focuses on being right, and what it creates is a theological swagger, which leads to an exclusiveness that really thinking, okay, we're, we're saved, but those that are out there that don't quite think like we are, aren't. What are some examples of that today? Well, this would be like someone who says, well, we aren't sure about the people who don't quite dress like us or look like us or act like us. I mean, heaven forbid that they have piercings or tattoos. We're not quite sure about people that maybe read from a translation of the Bible that we're maybe a little bit suspect of. Or they don't attend church as often or a church like ours. Or they don't read from their Bibles every day or they don't have the same understanding of important doctrines as we do. I mean, they might not really be a Christian. You see, this is an attitude that leads to a theological swagger that, that we've got it down right and no one else does. That was what Paul was making sure didn't happen in the church in Jerusalem. So let's keep reading in verse six. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add on to what I was preaching, to add to what I was preaching, excuse me. They saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle of Jews also worked through me as the apostle of the Gentiles. In fact, James, which is not James the apostle, but actually James the brother of Jesus, if you go back to read chapter one, uh, Peter and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me. And they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued to work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. So from Paul's second visit to Jerusalem, recorded in Galatians 2, he's maintained unity with the pillars, the the leaders of the early church, James, uh, Peter, and John. And he has assurance that they are united, uh, unified in teaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus for all people. He will stay focused on reaching those who don't have a Jewish background, and they will stay focused on reaching those who do have a Jewish background. Now, what's a practical application for us as a church? Well, here at Southwest, we're a church that began with a commitment to reach people that have a non-church background. It's important that we never allow that right spirit, right gospel, that theological swagger that we see sometimes in in some churches and in some believers, that we never allow that to creep in or slip in to the church. Because it's that attitude, it's that practice that prevents us from really connecting with those that we're called to reach. One way to make sure that we don't fall into this trap is to take to heart the challenge of verse 10, which says to remember to keep on helping the poor. 
As we remember, Jesus himself first began preaching the gospel. He pointed out that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. And listen to the prophecy that he quoted as he began his ministry in Luke 4, verse 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus only preached the poor. But his message was especially well-received by those who recognized either their physical or spiritual poverty. You see, some of us have been taught incorrectly. And some of us have believed that this quote that I'm about to say is found in the Bible, but it's not. Some of you have heard, well, I've even heard people say, well, the Bible says God only helps those who help themselves. That verse isn't in the Bible. In fact, the truth of the gospel is this. Think about it. Jesus came to earth to help those like us who can't help ourselves. When are we really ready to receive the gospel? When we get to that point in life that we realize that we are bound by chains of sin and guilt and shame and that we need a savior to break those chains free so that we can live the life that God's called us to live. It wasn't until I got to that point in my life where I said, man, I've messed up life. I need somebody to intervene out of my own strength and out of my own will because I've messed up life trying to rely on my will, it's then when I was receptive to the gospel. It's so important that we take to the heart that the gospel is for all people and that we are to share it, to share the good news without prejudice to others. One way for us to break through social barriers is to continue to cultivate a heart for the poor as Peter and Paul agreed, remember the poor. And on that point, I want to encourage you as I encourage and challenge myself. How can you, how can I remember the poor this week? Is there something you can do? Is there something you can say? Is there some action you can take this week to remember the poor? As a church, we're committed to continue to provide opportunities for you to pursue that calling. For us to be a church that has a sensitivity and a heart toward those who are in need. Possibly it's going to be by continuing to provide opportunities to partner with local food pantries, um, like Springboro Community Community Center, or possibly through partnering with a community pregnancy center like uh, the one in Middletown. And by the way, just I want to share some good news with you is that uh, through our recent baby bottle boomerang effort led by our women's ministry, we had over $2,600 given uh, to the community pregnancy center. Isn't that great? That's awesome. That's a lot of change, okay? And that's by just you taking a bottle and saying, okay, I care about these young women who find themselves in a tough situation and I want to provide some help, some care, be concerned for those in need. And yet we're called by God to continue to remember the poor, whether it's serving in Appalachia like our mission team that's going this summer or whether it be an inner city Dayton that we provide opportunities once a month or the poor in Haiti or El Salvador. As a church, we're called to remember to share with the poor. And as individual followers of Jesus, we're reminded to remember 
the poor. And as we love and serve the poor, we're reminded in our hearts that the gospel is an undeserved gift given to those who can't ever pay it back. And we can't ever allow ourselves to to forget that. And yet, on the other extreme, we can't ever allow ourselves to reduce the gospel simply to helping the poor. This is the other extreme from the right gospel that I see sometimes churches fall into. In fact, some writers, as as the author Bill Hull that I've quoted earlier, he calls it the left gospel, okay, a contrast to that. Some have called it the social gospel, that people have reduced the gospel message to simply helping those that are in need. Should Jesus followers help those that are in need? Absolutely. We just talked about that. But that's not, that's not the totality of our focus. Because if we really understand the gospel, we understand there is a truth message that needs to be shared with every person, rich, poor, those that recognize their need and those that don't. And that truth is not an option. So let's not reduce the gospel simply to helping the poor or any other social action that accompany the gospel. Are we to help the poor? Absolutely. And yet we also have an extremely important message of truth to share with all people. And like Paul, we're called to to share that message without compromising. Wow, that's just from the first visit. Now, let's look at the second visit, okay? Later, Peter, who was there in Jerusalem, goes and visits the work in Antioch. And what's happening there? This has become a mission post to reach out to the the non-Jewish world. And let's read about what happened there in verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him. Paul's saying, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Did you catch what's going on here? On the second visit, Peter goes, when he first goes, he's excited about the good work that's happening there, how the church is growing, how people are coming to Christ, and he's just having a great time in fellowship. He's sharing meals, and that's a big deal for the Jewish mindset. Table fellowship means I accept you. And he's sharing meals with them, and then what happens? Some people that have that theological swagger come from Jerusalem, and they come to Antioch, and And Peter sees them, and he knows that they're not quite sure about these uncircumcised followers of Jesus. So what does Peter do? He shrinks back. He quits having fellowship with them. He even leads Barnabas, whose nickname was Encourager. I mean, he even leads him astray. And Paul is upset. He gets hot. Now, I don't think Paul's just trying to prove he's a bad guy, okay? But I mean, he is upset because he sees this is potential for the gospel to be chained. And he wants it to remain unchained. And so let's read when, what he said. Let's keep reading in Galatians 2. He says, when I saw that they weren't following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, 
You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Paul calls Peter out. He rebukes him publicly because Peter sinned publicly, but he goes directly to him. He doesn't go talk behind his back. He goes directly to him. Now, this is, there's a fascinating word in verse 14. Paul uses in the original language to describe Peter's action. He says that when he saw that Peter was not following the truth of the gospel. Now, some of the versions of the Bible you might read from said that Peter did not walk according to the gospel. The actual word... Paul uses in Galatians in the Greek was, and I'm probably butchering this, so if you know Greek, uh, just bear with me, orthopodousin, okay, which is like a couple English words we know. What does it sound like? Okay, we got the word orthopedic, right? It's a doctor who helps broken bones and gets them straight. An orthodontist, somebody who's got crooked teeth, the dentist straightens them. And Paul says, Peter, you've not been walking in a straight line with the gospel. You're not walking in line with what the gospel message is all about. The gospel is for all people, and yet you're starting to exclude people. Now, I think this is really cool how Paul calls Peter out. Could he have gone back to one of the 600 plus commandments in the Old Testament and maybe came up with some combining of Old Testament and says, Peter, you you shall not be prejudiced. You shall not be a racist, okay? Which is basically what he's calling him out for here. He could have done that. But instead, he says, listen, if you really understand the gospel, it will change the way you live. It will shape your thinking. It will shape the course of your life. It will shape the direction of your life. He calls him to a higher standard. You see, if we truly have faith in Christ, in the gospel, then that means that from this point on in our life that we are going to take our cues for how we walk, how we live our lives, the way that Jesus calls us to. We're going to, as one scripture says, walk as Jesus walked. To put our faith in the gospel means that we begin to ask ourselves, God, how do you want to shape me? How do you want to redefine who I am and redirect my life? Now, next week, we're going to look more closely at what it means to respond in faith to the gospel. But let me just give you a quick sneak preview of what one commentator said about the word faith mentioned in Galatians 2. He says, biblical faith is something much different from a mere intellectual opinion about who Jesus is or or was. Biblical faith is trusting Jesus so much that we throw ourselves into his arms, confident that his blood can cleanse us. And give us right standing with God. I love that. We had a lady last night that responded to the gospel. She threw her arm, threw her life into the arms of Jesus. Trusted Christ in baptism. She trusted totally the gospel. That's great. That's great. We're going to talk about that more next week. And yet as we conclude this showdown between Peter and Paul, 
we see clearly the conflict between two opposing views. We talked about this last week. The two views between do and done. The theme of Galatians over and over again is that the message of the gospel is that we're to trust totally in what Jesus has done for us and to not fall into the trap of focusing on what we are doing for Christ. You see, we aren't to fall into the trap of trusting our religiosity or or our performance. It's not gospel plus performance, but it's to trust totally in the gospel what Jesus has done for us. Is that what you're trusting in? If not, I hope today will encourage you to put your trust totally in the gospel. Now, this doesn't mean that the gospel won't prompt action. And yet the motivation for the Christ follower is not to simply obey law or to fulfill religious obligation, but it's to simply respond in faith to what Jesus has done for us. And Paul wraps up this challenge of this whole section with a concluding statement that is powerful. You've heard it before, but it's in Galatians 2, verse 20. He says, listen, the gospel's for all people, but the gospel will transform your life. It will break free you of every chain if you'll let it. And this is how he put it. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. To help illustrate the meaning of this strong concluding statement of Paul, I want to close with a story. There's a story told of an early Christian leader and writer, maybe you've heard of him, named Augustine or Augustine, who lived an immoral life prior to becoming a Christ follower. After his conversion to Christ, a prostitute that he had frequented prior to becoming a Christian saw him out in public and said, hi, Augustine. And yet Augustine didn't respond. She was frustrated that he blew her off. And and so she said again, Augustine, don't you see me? It is I. And I love Augustine's response. He says, yes, I see you, but it is no longer I. You see, he was saying, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the power of of the gospel, the power to transform us. Have you accepted that call to live by faith and to no longer live for the I, but for the one who died for you? As we reflect on this strong calling of the gospel, let's conclude with a time of communion to remember, to remember the one who died for all of us. During this time of communion, let's remember that we're to to not set aside the grace of God, to not trust gospel plus anything else, but to simply trust the gospel, the good news, that Jesus has died for you and for me. Let's trust in what he has done. And yet, let's examine our hearts and our lives and ask ourselves, are we walking in line with the gospel? And are we allowing that gospel message to transform us?
Let's reflect on that during this time of communion. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for this timeless, powerful message of the gospel. And Father, this, this interaction between Paul and Peter in Galatians 2 is, is, is it's cool, but it's, it's just, there's a lot there. Help us take it to heart and help us remember to trust not in gospel plus anything else, but simply the gospel. Help us reflect on that, but also to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, is it still I that lives or is it Christ living in me? Help us be truly changed by Jesus. It's in his name we pray.